You've probably heard the marketing equation 40-40-20. More than one of our guests on past episodes has mentioned it. 40-40-20 represents which parts of a promotion are responsible for the sales. 40% comes from your list or your audience, making sure that you're talking to the right people. Another 40% comes from the quality and value of your offer. And the final 20% comes from your copy, the message that you use to sell the offer to the right audience. And if you're talking to the right people with a great offer, you'll almost certainly succeed even if the copy isn't that great. Conversely, if your offer is bad, even the best copy won't do much to salvage the promotion. All of that is a long way to introduce our guest for this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, copywriter and marketing strategist and think tank member, Lander Solser. Lander's specialty is helping her clients dial in an irresistible offer that customers can't say no to. It's a superpower that every copywriter needs to have, so you'll definitely want to stick around for this episode. Before diving into the interview with Lander, the sponsor for this week's episode is the Copywriter Think Tank. Surprise! Shockingly, it's the Copywriter Think Tank. It's a part mastermind and part coaching program, and it's designed to help copywriters dive deeper into their businesses and explore new ideas that maybe they didn't even think were possible. With our two new coaches, Linda Perry and Johnny Steller, you'll get personalized focus on systems and mindset in addition to strategic coaching and support from the two of us. If you're looking to create a new offer or program, scale your income, launch a book, maybe even a podcast, the Think Tank could be your next step to making it happen. And if you want more information, head over to copywriterthinktank.com to learn more. All right, let's get to our interview with Lander Solser. As a writer today, I have client clients, um, course creators, in the online space that I write copy for. And then occasionally I'll have students that I coach through creating an irresistible offer. And I'll do that from my little basement office in my home. I love working from home and hearing my kids around the house. So that's how I'm making money right now. So I think a lot of people hear you say, you know, I work with high-end coaches and think, oh, that's awesome. I'm just starting out. How do I connect with those kinds of clients? I'm curious, Lander, how did you find your first clients and how did you ladder up to these higher paying, bigger projects in your business? Beautiful question. Yes. I remember feeling like, how do you get there? I am in the beginning, truly, I would take an online course Uh, And then I would reach out to these people I just thought were amazing. And I have a podcast and it's called Online Success for Creatives. So one way was just be like, hey, look, I think you are so cool. You've got a great offer here. Can I write for you? And of course, my pricing was very different at the time. And um, if it was right, they'd be like, yeah, just write for me. And that was one of my um, clients, Amanda Horvath, who now has a multi six figure course. And we've worked together multiple times. So um, sometimes it was just reaching out and being like, hey, I think we align. I think you're really cool. Can I help you on this project? And I could take something off your plate, right? So that was how I started in the beginning. And then as their stories grew and I had a little bit underneath me of experience and people could see a bit of a portfolio starting to get together, um, I would then, you know, the biggest connections were through doing a mastermind. I would say that I did a mastermind 
And that really helped connect me with higher end coaches, like consultants and, and course creators, because I don't typically say it's really hard for me to leave home. I have very little <laughs> children. Um, and so I think that was like the biggest pushes for me getting bigger clients um, was reaching out in the beginning and just sticking with it over time. Okay. Yeah. And I, I'm glad we're talking about this because this is a question that popped into my inbox even yesterday. It was just like, Hey, Kira, how can we talk about how to get these high-end premium clients. So let's just dig deeper into this. It sounds like what's worked is joining different programs and then reaching out to the creator of the program and then also joining, you know, being in the right room. So you mentioned being in the right masterminds so that you're surrounded by the right people. Are there any other ways outside of that that you would recommend to copywriters who are struggling to connect with the right clients? Yeah, I think that I mean, podcasts are a really powerful way to connect with people. Even if you're like reaching out to someone and a team member, like, you know, Amy Porterfield is super busy. You're not really going to reach Amy Porterfield through her email, but you're going to reach people on her team that then know your name, right? And so that's really powerful. And that does come back over, over time. Um, I full cleared, it didn't land a client, but I did reach out to someone. She was on my podcast. She was a uh, seven figure person and her team was like hire lander <laughs> and she went a different direction but it's you can't overestimate like the power of those small connections and by small i just mean um those unique connections right that are maybe not in the main person but they're working on a team because they're going to remember you they might work with multiple um six or seven figure business owners right and now you're on a new list to get connected so that's also a powerful way is just reaching out through podcasts or to blog and um, and knowing the name of the team members. Yeah, I, I like that. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your podcast and how you approach that. Like how, what are you thinking about when you are thinking, okay, I want this particular guest on my show. And then is it like this conscious effort? Like I'm reaching out to them on the show. Yes, but ultimately I want to work with them someday. Or are you just forming relationships and trying to nurture them so that when the thing happens, it happens? You know, when I started the podcast, you know, I, I have a story like loss, which you guys might touch on later. But when I came into my business, we all know mindset is a huge thing. Really, I was like, I just want to work. And these people seem really cool. And they've got amazing online offers. And I want to connect with them. And that was the whole basis. I would reach out to these amazing entrepreneurs like Tyler McCall, Casey Morris. Um, there were lots that really were on my podcast that um, I really love. And I'd reach out and be like, hey, look, I'm just, I'm literally a mom behind the computer who, who wants to make more connections. Would you like to be on my podcast? Here's a few of the basics of what I reach out and do. And, um, and, and many of them said yes. And then we're on the podcast and we started talking about what I love to talk about, which is creating online courses. And what I loved at the time when I started the podcast was this ability that me as a mom, you know, and educated, like love learning could have space and work from home doing what I love and connecting with people without having to leave the home or leave my kids, right? And I just thought that was so powerful. So really in the beginning, it was just reaching out to reach out to people I thought were cool. I know that sounds really general. And then I, um, I guess started to become more strategic with it um, a bit. And now I, like if you listen to my podcast now, I have clients speaking on the podcast about how we work together and what they're doing now. But that's kind of a more recent thing, to be honest. So how did you go from 
I, you know, I, I'm here. I just want to make connections and that, which, you know, is a great way to show up. And I, like, you can feel the positive energy from that. And I would want to connect with you if you reached out and, and said that, but how did you go from that to creating the irresistible offer? What were some of the steps in between? Yeah. So it's funny, Kira. I actually reached out to your team one time and then I chickened out. So <laughs> wait, what? What um, do you mean? Uh, yeah. I'd reached out to your team and I was like, Hey, is Kira Bill? I did your application. And they were like, yeah, what do you need? You had a great team. They were very nice. And then I just chickened out. I don't know what happened, but mindset's a really big thing. And so that's just funny. But I had for creating the irresistible offer, I started to have clients right? That I would like reach out to in a course or like they would reach out to me and they would be like, Hey, I can't figure out my offer yet. Or I, I, I'm just not ready to pay, you know, $5,000 for a sale page or X amount for emails. Um, can you help me here? So it became me coaching them through creating their first profitable launch or irresistible offer and then what to do with it, right? Create that irresistible offer. And then how do I launch it successfully? And so then I just created the coaching package that has been a great success for my business and how I started working with um, clients like Rebecca Rice, who now has the course that we started working on. She's done made like 300K in the past year, and she's on track to make a million this year with all of her online efforts. So it's really cool process. But I just took what my clients needed and just started coaching them through it because it didn't fit into my copy packages. Okay, so that's that's amazing. A $300,000 package is amazing. Can we talk about the offer? Like, what does it take to build an offer like that? Right, well, it's, it's a great question because we see that huge number and she, I think it was really fast for her. Um, and she did make six figures in the first year, but it does start with the first launch. And getting a lot of numbers down and figuring out what's converting and what's not, and then just adjusting a move from there. And I asked Rebecca because she is just an action taker. I mean, she just goes. <laughs> she would just be like, oh, that didn't work and just move to something that did. Um, but for her offer, we walked through making it irresistible, right? The um, naming the course, having a very super clear promise laying out what was in the course and then what are the bonuses um, because it's a, that can be a sticky point for some clients and then how to market it. What is the best messaging, the best messaging to get this out there and how it, how it grows to 300 K is right. Is doing it over and over and over leaning into what's working and, and walking away from what doesn't. You know, I just was super distracted a minute ago when Lander, when you said you pitched me to be on the podcast. And so I had to check my email and now I see your email, Lander. I see it from 2018. And then, and then you never responded after the last email. So <laughs> we're glad we finally connected. I'm glad we made that happen eventually. So when we're talking about your offer, why is the naming part so important? And can we talk about how to do that better? Because I feel like that is overlooked by definitely by most copywriters. We just skip past it. Um, and there is so much value behind choosing the right name. Right. Yeah. I think that the audience needs to see themselves in it and be driven by it. And I always lean into like my first, my first thing is always clarity. Like it must be clear. If it is confusing at all, then we can't use it. <laughs> if, if, if it like leads to something else, um, let's just 
let's move on and give options. So you can like make a whole list of like 20 different ways. You can try to use alliteration, but at the end of the day, if it isn't clear, don't use it. That is my like biggest, if you're naming the course, don't use it. But I think that for naming it, um, focusing on clarity and then what is the biggest drive? So sometimes you can even start with like the promise of your course. And this can be confusing because as experts, right, we can do a lot for people. And if we like to teach and learn, we can think, well, I can help you with this. I can help you with this. I can help you X, Y, Z. But we have to really hone in on one clear promise for your offer. Um, are you promising to double sales? Are you promising a first profitable launch? Are you promising more money during a photo shoot? And even that's a little vague, like mini sessions. Here's how to create profitable mini sessions. And that was one of Rebecca Rice's offers, right? So we have to have that very clear promise. And then sometimes the naming, you can come back to it and it fits best with that clear promise. Beyond getting the name right, being clear and clever, what else do we really need to focus in on to make sure that our offers are as irresistible as possible? Yes. Okay. So you've named the course, you have a very clear promise, and then you have the course layout. What goes into the course that all drives to the course promise? This is not your bonuses. And this is kind of helpful and a helpful exercise because when we can help people with so many things, those tend to blend. But if you have the very clear promise, what are the core things that they must have to get to that clear promise? And that can help you structure like here's the intro, here is exactly what you need next, and here's what you need next, and here's what you need next. And then that's all very focused on the promise. And then if you're like, well, for an irresistible offer, if you have one, like a bonus could be the launch, right? So you're like fitting into and seeing what fits into the bonuses and what fits into the course layout. So you have naming the course, a very clear promise, and then what's going into the course that fits into that promise. Let's dive deeper into the promise because I think it's easy to get hung up on the promise. And sometimes we feel like, okay, I want to make this big promise, but I'm afraid I won't be able to fulfill on the promise. And maybe it's too big. Maybe I'm promising too much. And so we tend to pull back and then our promise just gets diluted and it does not stand out and it doesn't, it's not as effective. So do you have any techniques strategies, approaches so that we can identify the right promise, go big, but maybe uh, we don't go too big where we overpromise. Right. Um, yeah. So I always think, you know, just jamming on it. So I'll be like, here's some time to jam. Just write down everything that your course does help with, right? It can help you do X, Y, Z. It can help you do this. It can help you do that. And then you can focus on what is the overall theme, right? And then create what is the clear promise there. So if you have like creating an irresistible offer, right, will help you um, make more sales. It'll help you um, share your expertise with more people. You're going to have a deeper impact. It becomes really vague, but then I can see what is a super driver for my audience and would be making more sales. Um, and bringing more income into their business. So then I can focus on that and like, what is the clear promise that I can make to them? And it might be, you know, doubling your sales or income for that certain area. So that would be 
the focus. So it really would be kind of that brain dump moment for the clear promise. What all does it help your audience do? And then what is the big driver for your audience? So Lander, I'm curious, you know, as you're thinking about these offers, are you also talking and working with your clients about how to price it or working on guarantees or thinking about the terms of an offer or even like a broader level positioning, how it fits into the marketplace? Is that all part of an offer too? Or do you really focus in on, again, the promise and delivering on that promise? Yes, we fit everything into it as well, like the guarantee and the pricing. And I have a download worksheet you can find on my website too. But I really focus on these four things first, like the main course, clear promise, course layout and bonuses. And then we come in and do pricing, um, et cetera. Because I think that when it comes to pricing, it's easier to make the decision when you see the clear layout of what everything goes into your offer. And you're like, whoa, I really am giving a great deal here. And you see you're excited about the clear promise of what you're actually delivering to your audience and what you're able to give there. Um, and one thing too for clear promising too is like looking at competitor research and everyone else's promise because that can be really fun to see those different interactions and um, and the follow throughs there. So I think that really getting set on these things helps you flow into pricing it and getting excited about pricing it if any money mindset issues come up, as well as the guarantee and really standing by what you're delivering. Let's dive into the guarantee because. With guarantees, the way I learned about the guarantee is that the guarantee is really for the customer. It's to help <laughs> reduce friction. So it's a no-brainer for them to just say, yes, I have nothing to lose. And But when I worked with clients and just other collaborators, I feel like there's always so much pushback around the guarantee. And it's like, oh, I don't want to, you know, as the creator of this product, I don't want to get screwed over by the customer and so the guarantee doesn't actually do what it needs to do, which is overcome objections and hesitations. Um, so I'm curious, Lander, how you approach the guarantee, how you think about it, and how you lay that out. I feel very similar to you, Kira. I like to do hear that as well. And I think one pushback when people ask that is, is like if we're really creating something amazing here, we have this clear promise and we're really building it, we do need to stand next to it. And that's what we're doing with the guarantee and showing these people. And when we think about our audience coming through and connecting like through the very random internet, it's not like super random, but you know what I mean? We're not able to see each other in person. We're relying on certain things to really get us to this point to buy. Um, and having that moment where you are standing by your offer, it is really powerful. So you can make it about you or you can really make it about your audience and how they're feeling. So I'm being very clear here. I don't say this with my clients, but I think that that's that moment of you standing by your offer. Leonard, do you have advice for somebody who might be thinking, hey, I want to create a course. I'm really good at this thing that I do. Maybe it's you know voice guides or maybe it's sales pages or maybe it's email sequences. But I'm also hyper aware that there are already 5, 10, 20 courses offering the same thing. How do you help someone in that position really differentiate what they want to offer and sell to their audience versus everything else that's out there? That is a great question. And a lot of it comes down to magnetic messaging when you're selling, right? You have your irresistible offer, you have your own messaging, um, and then you have your marketing. And your messaging throughout it is going to create that 
um, separation from your competition because you are bringing something completely unique by sharing your own expertise and your own angle from this. Um, and I think we've seen this so many times, like, yes, there are so many offers out there, but some people want a more unique, they want a different angle and you might have that angle. Like um, for creating an online course, we know that Amy Porterfield has her digital course academy, but there are also people who are looking for something a bit different. Um, they still want to create a course, but they want more, more information about the copy side of it, or they want more information, um, more not handholding, but they want more coaching through it, right? So there's a different experience they want. So you're creating your own unique experience with your own messaging that connects with a unique audience. And that's what you're building throughout creating your own irresistible offer. I wonder what shifts you've seen over the last few years, um, especially over the pandemic with courses and the offers developed in the course space. Have you noticed any changes with your clients and your own offers as far as like, oh, you know, they're emphasizing the community element because people were mostly locked inside at home or they're adding more bonuses around this idea. Are there any shifts that you've seen? Yes, there's a great deal of shifts. I think that we have this normal launch or I guess a typical launch experience where you would sign up for the webinar, you would go to the webinar, you would go through the emails and maybe you would join or not join. And now we're seeing a bit of more interaction within the launch. And by that, I mean a bit more reach out in the launch emails, a bit more time before the launch, the pre-launch work. So people are having something that leads up to the webinar that you can interact with the team or with the, the individual selling um, on a certain topic and get a win before you're even in the webinar. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot more points of video connection. So in an email during launch, you can reach out to people. Um, and I think that personal touch, even adding a phone call opportunity to speak to the person or the team, we're seeing a lot more of that um, because we need, we there's this craving right for personal touch. Um, and I think there is an example of like selling evergreen and never having to touch the product or create community really, which is a time of we're no longer in that space. And I think now when we talk evergreen, it's still that you're opening up the doors for a conversation if they want to buy purchase or not. Um, it is still building a community on the back end that really fuels and answers the questions for your audience. Um, so I do think that we're seeing more of a high touch launch period now um, and creating space of like kindness within the launch. One powerful thing to do during launch too is even if you have like your fast action bonus, we, we have people coming through the funnel. They're in like high stress situations. Either they're working, they came back and tried to lug and they totally missed it. And now, you know, that feeling isn't a great feeling. What are we, what are we um, allowing our audience to feel? So giving space like, hey, if you didn't quite get this, you don't have time to make this fast action bonus decision, click here for a call with my team. And then you will honor the fast action bonus as long as you just schedule it today. And I think that there's like little points of kindness we can create throughout the launch and pre-launch that build a relationship. All right, I've got a few points I'd like to share, but Rob, you go first. What resonated with you? 
Yeah. So uh, again, as always, lots of bullets and notes that I pushed out or dropped into my notebook. So a couple of things that I think are really important. So we asked Lander how she connects to these big clients and she gave a couple of ideas and it's not necessarily anything new, but I think really important to repeat and just emphasize that the place to connect with good clients is where good clients hang out. And that is masterminds, uh, high level groups and communities. And I really like that Lander connected with people, with clients, with her podcast and being a guest on other people's podcasts. So, you know, having those kinds of unique connections with higher level clients, in order to create them, you've got to go where they are. And so worth repeating, worth emphasizing, if you want to connect with clients that spend money, have big programs and, you know, masterminds and high level groups are a really good place to find them. And we often talk about cold emailing and pitching on this podcast and with copywriters in the different communities. And sometimes I think we almost make it too complicated and overthink it and make it too formulaic because we want to get it right. And because there's so many ways you could do it, we're almost trying to follow a template. And what Lander shared, that's such a great reminder to me, is that it's really simple. And it's just if, if you take away all the formulas and the templates and the tips, it's really just forming a genuine connection with someone else. And that's what Lander has done so well by reaching out to people that resonate with her and um, people that excite her and people that she wants to genuinely connect with in business. And I think people feel that when she reaches out to them. I don't think she probably has this perfect pitch template that she can sell, or maybe she does. But I think it's more about people feeling her positive energy and that she's just someone who really does like what they're doing and actually wants to help them. I think what she said she will say is something like, you know, I think we align. I think you're really cool. Can I help you on this project? And that's not just like, that's not like this magical line of copy. It's just something that she truly means. And that's why it works for her. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because like everybody else, like every other copywriter in the world, I've downloaded tons of templates, pitch templates, you know, some of them paid, some of them are free or whatever. And as I look at them, they almost never fit the situation that I'm in. They don't fit either my personality, they maybe don't fit what I want to do with the client. And uh, I think, yeah, it's nice to see those and see examples of how other people are connecting, but it has to be real. It has to be, you know, your brand voice. It has to be something that your customer can relate to. And the more I think about pitching and connecting with clients, it really is just creating those relationships, friendships before anything else. And that's not really done with a, a pitch template. It's done by just being you. Yeah, it's almost like just showing up as a, a messy human uh, rather than this smooth operating marketer. And people, especially today, I think just resonate with that. I also like that you mentioned, Rob, masterminds. Um, Lander joined a mastermind early on and that seemed to work for her. I know that was a big part of my early like quote unquote success. When I was getting started, I accidentally fell into it where I spoke at a mastermind group and um, it wasn't even a great presentation, but I was in the right room with the right people and I was the only copywriter in the room and work ended up working with like seven or eight of the people in that mastermind. And it helped me just take off in my business. 
So I agree with Lander, you know, finding those masterminds, you don't necessarily have to join it, but you can maybe build a relationship with someone in the group and run a presentation in that group. Um, that is a perfect fit for that, that community. Yeah. So let's talk about like the main thing we talked about with Lander and that is offers. Uh, she's, you know, done a ton of work around an offer where she helps other people create their own offers, you know, and we kind of went bullet point through bullet point, but naming offers specifically is maybe a good place to start. Uh, and we've actually seen Lander go through this process and, you know, talking about this in other groups as well. And I love what she said that, you know, it, it needs to be clear, not necessarily clever. And I think a lot of times we get hung up on creating something that's clever or appealing to us, but it doesn't necessarily communicate you know, the promise of the course or what the person's going to get out of it. And so as you think about naming, make it clear, uh, you know, maybe focus on the promise of the course she mentioned and some examples of that, you know, when we talk about, you know, 10 Xing your business or whatever, you know, there's a, a promise right there. It's like, I can help you 10 X your business. And that maybe is a good name for a course. She also mentioned alliteration, uh, which, uh, and another, um, example of how to name is taking somebody from here to there. An example of both of those things is uh, our friend Erin Pennings, who's been on the podcast and her program, Womp Womp to Wow. There's alliteration and it also takes you from uh, this this mistake or this bad place to this amazing place. And those are maybe just some ideas as far as naming your offer so that you start connecting with the right clients. Well, yeah. And it's even better than that with Womp Womp to Wow, which I just love to say. Um, Erin named it Womp Womp to Wow because her course is focused on taking website copy from Womp Womp to Wow. So there's even more alliteration in there, but it sticks with you. I mean, anytime we hear that name, I think of Erin. Um, it puts a smile on my face. And so I, I love naming. I think it's a really fun process. I think it's something that many of us copywriters skip over or we just move through it very quickly, even though, you know, this is kind of what we do. Uh, for a living, we we come up with clarity. Uh, we're creative, but it's just hard to do it for your own offers. So um, focusing on that or brainstorming or even hiring a fellow copywriter to help you with your own names, it can go a long way. Uh, I do think when we started the Copywriter Club, Rob, I remember thinking like, this name is not as creative as I want it to be. I mean, I feel like we're creative folks. We need a more creative name for the Copywriter Club. But it works well because it's clear and there's a benefit baked into it. With club, you automatically understand the benefit is that there's a community. And so I do agree with Lander that oftentimes clarity is the way to go. And then you can always add a little bit of clever and creativity later. Yeah. In addition to name, she mentioned the other three steps creating that offer is making sure you've got your course layout done, adding some bonuses, and then being really clear on the promise and making it a big promise. And I think, you know, as, as we think about courses that we offer, or, you know, if you're listening, the course that you want to build, or it, even if it's not a course, it's a product of some kind, you want to follow the same structure. You want to you know, obviously have that clear name with a clear promise. You want to have the ingredients, the course layout, or what it all includes, some bonuses that increase the value and help get things done, and a big promise that's going to take you to that transformation that you need to deliver. So really critical elements 
of an offer that I think a lot of times we as copywriters, we, we just kind of skip over it. We, you know, our clients show up and say, okay, here's what I'm selling. And we say, great, we take it and we write a sales page, we write sales emails, we write content around that. And we don't question whether they've got any of these elements right. Do they have a great name? You know, are there bonuses? Is the real value here? Is the promise big enough? Because if we can help them improve those things, like we hinted out in the introduction to this episode, that's impacting 40% of the success of this promotion, as opposed to just the 20% that we impact if we're only focused on copy. Yeah. And I think the area where we can improve uh, is the promise. It all starts with the promise. And you know, you said coming up with a big promise is important, but sometimes just coming up with a specific promise is most important. And you know, you and I talk to a lot of copywriters about their new offers. Oftentimes what's missing is the promise, even though this is what we do for our clients. Um, it's just, again, something that we overlook and then we're building a new product without a clear and specific promise. So I would, I would start with that piece when you're creating your new offer or working with a client on their offer. We also talked about how guarantees impact your offer. And while that's not specifically part of what Lander's four things are, it's definitely an important part of getting your clients to say, yes, you and I have gone back over, you know, different ideas that we have for guarantees of things that we offer. But it, you know, a guarantee does something really important. Most of the persuasion stuff that we do, we're trying to attract people to our offer. Uh, those are all techniques that are called alpha techniques. The guarantee is different. It's trying to keep people from moving moving away from once they see the offer from backing away and saying, oh, you know, it's, you know, I can't really try it right now or that inertia that they might have. A guarantee is to help overcome that. It's, it's actually an omega technique is what it's called. And if you get the guarantee right, it can make all the difference, you know, once you've got all of that other stuff lined up for your offer. Yeah. The guarantee is not to protect you as a business owner. It is, it is to help your, your prospect um, work through the offer so that they um, want to move forward, like you just said. And so it's supposed to relieve them of any lingering anxiety. And this is something, again, that I think a lot of times our clients don't fully get. And so we may have to explain it to them as consultants. It, this is how it can help you if we really nail this guarantee. And it's for your prospect, not for you. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I think even a lot of smart marketers want to create all these barriers in their guarantees. You know, you've got to go through all of the material and do all of the work in order to prove that you did and it didn't work before you can get a guarantee. And while that may reduce the number of people who ask for a guarantee, it also almost certainly reduces the number of sales that you get on the front end because people look at that and say, oh, what if I can't get all the work done? Or, you know, what if I have to do it a little bit? differently or my offer is different. And so, uh, you know, like you said, this, it, your guarantee really needs to be about your client, about their experience, about removing the obstacles to trying. And the better your guarantee is for them, the more sales that you're going to get up front. And yeah, there is, there is some refunds that will happen on the back end. Not every offer is a fit for every customer. You just have to be okay with that. And a really good guarantee can attract the right people to your business. Yeah, I wonder if that that anxiety around crafting the guarantee that's actually better for the customer stems from the low completion rates that we currently have in the course space, that if it, it's more of a customer experience 
side of things where if we improve our courses and programs and offers and increase completion rates, maybe we'll feel better about writing guarantees that are for the customer and not serving our own business. Yeah, that's that's interesting too. I mean, you and I had a conversation with another copywriter just a couple of days ago. This isn't really part of this podcast, but I think it's interesting when we were talking about completion rates and the way that buyers use courses actually may explain why some of those completion rates are so low. And it might be okay that we only have, you know, if we if we release a course that only has 10% or 20% completions, because a lot of clients or a lot of people who buy courses, they're not buying the entire course. They need what's happening in module three and not modules one, two, and four. And so they go in, they get the information they need, they get the value that, you know, they wanted to get, but they don't go through maybe the basic stuff that was in one or two, or maybe they, you know, implement in a different way, which was explained in module four. So they don't actually complete the course, but they get a lot of value. So a lot of people, I think, use courses in different ways. And again, a guarantee that forces them to complete the course may actually hinder rather than help. Yeah. And just to add to that before we move on, I think that's where customized courses could be really cool, where if you jump into a course as a user, that you could set your own success and your own goal for that course completion. And maybe Rob, if you only if you join a course and you know you only need module four and five, then you set that intention from the beginning. And there's some feedback loop so that when you complete module four and five, but you don't complete one, two, and three, like you're successful and you have a hundred percent completion rate and the course creator gets that feedback. So they know that they were successful too. Um, and we don't look at it as a loss. So Maybe that's just something that we think about in the way that we're structuring our courses too. Yeah, I really like that idea, giving people just the opportunity to engage with content the way that it makes sense for them, as opposed to the way that we structure it when we put things together. Okay, so before we wrap um, from this part of the conversation, is there anything else that stood out to you? So I I think it's probably just worth emphasizing some of the changes that have happened that uh, Lander mentioned since the pandemic and just the craving that we have for one-on-one or group interaction. We saw that when we got together in Nashville with our event, people really are craving a personal touch. They're craving human connection. And even if it's happening on video, the more that we can build this into a launch process or into the products that we offer, I think there's just a real opportunity right now for that kind of an experience. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, what can I do with my products or my services or how can I improve them or give my clients a better experience? It may just be that personal touch, that personal connection. Maybe it's a, a video call or you know, even, even text or whatever can be personal. But I think a lot of us are craving that interaction and there's a real opportunity right now to give that. Oh my gosh, please do not let it be text because I feel like I'm already getting a lot of text messages from marketers and like even from companies I like. And I'm like, please stop texting me. Um, so maybe not text messaging, depending on your audience. But we, we've we pulled this in to our marketing as well. And even with our accelerator launch, we've added one-on-one video you know, meet and greet conversations so that Rob and I can talk to copywriters that are interested in the accelerator, but maybe on the fence and maybe not, they have a question or two. Half the time, I think they just want to see who's behind the course or meet Rob or meet uh, me and just understand that there's a face and a person behind what they're about to possibly join. And so I think if you can give that one-on-one touch in your marketing, it can go a long way. 
Now let's get back to the interview with Lander and hear her take on what's not working in launches anymore. I really like the idea of creating points of kindness. Uh, that appeals to me on all kinds of levels. While we're talking about marketing courses, are there things that people have been doing that are not working so well or maybe not working at all anymore that we should be avoiding? Just to redirect the question a bit. Yes, there's, there's, um, yes. Okay, so I'll give an example. I think that anything that feels high touch um, or VIP but isn't, is not the route to go. Meaning if I, if you're like, hey, join, I've got this really elite group. Okay, it's a mastermind. You can apply here and only a few people come in, right? And then you go through it and you see that it's like anybody who applies gets in and it isn't like the experience, quite the experience that you were expecting. Like those moments don't feel great. And if you have that in your funnel, that's what we would really readjust and focus on um, making your your clients and and people that come through as VIP as they should. And um, so I think those moments that maybe worked before aren't so great anymore. And I think that, I think we're all asking about sales right now. What is ethical sales? What does it look like? How do I include it? A lot of people come back um, about the guarantee, like Kira mentioned, they also want to talk about bonuses. They're like, is this ethical to have bonuses? I would sell it anyway. And then there's also the, the money stack when you were talking about stacking your offer and you show the financial the financial gain from joining or what it would cost if you did it this way and it all adds up to six thousand but you can buy now for one thousand right i think a lot of people are asking new to marketing is this ethical and so those are points we can kind of talk about too i'd love to get your opinion as well i'm sure the audience would love to speak to that too what do you do, Lander, to pose that question with your clients to make sure that it feels ethical to you, to your client, it works for their unique audience? How do you direct that conversation? Yes. People want to talk about, should we really talk about the problems? And I know but copywriters, we do see that. But if your audience is kicking back at all, it's a great point to talk about. So yeah, when when it comes to those points, of course, always follow your intuition. I'm not going to tell my client it is or is not ethical. It's truly, how do you feel about it? And then we talk it out. We know that the sales page is its purpose is to give someone like a cold audience member, let's say it's for a cold audience, coming to the sales page, they need as much information as possible. And they need to know what financially gain or what it would cost to do that. So how can we create that? If you don't want the offer stack that doesn't feel great, there are other ways we can use wording to showcase this. Like, you know, for what you would, your money or your coffee budget for the year, you can buy this course, right? So there's certain ways we can frame it to show the financial side of it and cost and just talk through what feels ethical to them. In my case, like I feel like it is ethical if you are not making up people, of course, if you're making up prices or the numbers for certain offers, then that's not great. (laughs) That's not what we want. But if I can show like for me to have a kickoff hour with me is is four ninety seven. So I could put that on my sales page. Like you, yeah, you can get an hour with me, and you can get this coaching for two k, and you can get my eyes on your sales page for X amount, or you can just you can buy my package. All of this put together for this deal here that I'm that I'm offering, and that to me feels great. And so just creating those moments with my with my clients that feel good to them. I'm never going to tell them, you know, if I would always say go with your intuition. 
Yeah, to me, I, I think I'm on the same page as you, Lander. It's like if you can sell the thing for the price that you say you're selling it for, then that seems fair to me. But if you're just throwing a price on something that's never been sold to the public or you're trying to make it look good and you would, you know, you would probably discount it from what you're saying on your sales page, that feels unethical to me. And I think the beginning point really is does the thing that I'm selling work? Will it deliver the transformation I'm promising? Not with a maximum effort, but with a reasonable effort. You know, if, if I, you know, go through, if I do the work, I don't have to put a super heroic effort into doing it in order to get the result, but I can just kind of do a, a reasonable amount of effort and I'm going to get a result. Then, then I think, you know, you're, you're in a good place there. Yeah. And I think, like bringing it all together, I I know too. Like for some of my clients, this this is marketing is new to them. So yes, they they're they're expert in what they do, and they want to share this with the world. And then marketing can be a great deal and very overwhelming. Um, and you're, there's like a lot we're working through internally when we even think about sales and money. So creating that kind of space for yourself as you're growing your own irresistible offer and getting it out there. Like just acknowledging what you feel and why you feel it. Um, and I think always coming back to what is the purpose of the sales page? If it's the sales page that I'm coming to, what is the purpose of the guarantee? And am I reaching that? And like, what is my internal feeling here? Yeah. So I know, Lander, that you have written promotions and created offers for clients. You mentioned a couple that have been wildly successful. And you also have a second kind of service where you coach people through the process. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the, you know, basically do it for me and do it with me services that you offer? Yes. So the, the writing is more, um, VIP and higher priced. So I will come in and I have my process that I'll do a ton of research and that can be getting on the phone. It'll do competitor research and, um, create a detailed document for you. And then I go to writing, wireframing, editing. They get two edits within a certain amount of time. And then, right, it's the watching for conversions and optimizing. So um, for some teams, I'll come back and say, like, how did this page perform? Here's what we can do in the future, right, to make it even higher converting. So that would be my higher end package. And then coming into the coaching, some people are like, well, I, I, I just – want a first profitable launch. So that's what I came up with, like your first profitable launch. And I come through with the irresistible offer. Well, that's not true. I always start with research. So we do research. Uh, if they have an audience, then we I'll have my surveys for them. And they're very similar to my the surveys I'll do for clients on the higher end. And then we'll go through it together. So they'll sit there in charge of like sending it out themselves. And we talk about how the process is and what best ways to get survey results. And then um, we'll go through those surveys together. And that really fuels the offer point because then I have this document where we fill out the irresistible offer together. And, um, and we talk about who the ideal client is, especially when we're just starting. It can be hard to, and many times it's confused with who I am, right? Or who they are as the expert. And we're really coming from where the audience is and who that person is. Because at different stages, so one recent coaching client um, is very, is amazing at Facebook ads. She's just hands down wonderful. And so, but she's like, well, I don't want to watch a webinar. And it's like, well, you're not 
your ideal client and your ideal client we know and has seen have seen through the numbers and things they will watch a webinar and when it's done right a great training so having those moments of like you versus your ideal client and separating those two and how can you truly help your ideal client for copywriters who want to offer some type of coaching service what would you recommend they do or don't do you know maybe for pulling from some of the mistakes that you've made yeah, I, I mean, honestly, make it as easy as possible for yourself. What already flows, like you can hear the flow from mine as well, that it is like research. And then I don't get too involved with it. I offer my best advice, right? And then um, my the surveys, which are wonderful. And I, so then I like share them, share that, have that moment that we're speaking on the phone, like coaching them through it. And then they come back and we go through it together, which is like also what I love to do. If you're like, Lander, this sounds like miserable. I don't want to coach. Guess you don't have to coach. You can do it a totally different way. There are audits and other things you can do. But so if you're coaching, um, I think like breaking it down into like very easy steps of what you're already doing. As a follow up, when you're coaching, how many sessions are you packaging together? And if you don't mind sharing, you know, roughly how much are you charging for something like this? Yeah, I, I charge 2000 for it. And I um, have kept that for a while. In the beginning, too, it was... I saw it right away. So I started, I had my copywriting and then I did audit. So I would audit your website, audit your offer, audit your launch. Um, and it quickly came that the, the trigger point was the irresistible offer. And so that was the easy flow for me to go, okay, I can now coach you. I know exactly how to get you your first profitable launch. Let's do this together. And we do the research. We would then meet about the irresistible offer and focus it. And then I'm just there. And the next few weeks, I'm like, all right, it's sales page time. Okay, here's email templates, it's email time. And then putting it together for them in that way, not for them, but with them, <laughs> like coaching them through it. And they would come to me with questions. So I had Slack and I um, had worked with someone who organized launches and she had said, I always set my hours, always. And you would do that as a coach um, or for whatever package you've got that has any type of connection with your client set your hours and then even say like, you know, I'm a busy mom. Sometimes I'll log in at night or on a Saturday morning, but it doesn't mean I'm always available to talk. I might respond. I'll just, I'll let you know which in which place I am. <laughs> so I think just like being incredibly clear and creating those boundaries beforehand is helpful to make it go as smoothly as possible. And then I tend to be a perfectionist, but coaching allowed me to let it go a little bit because um, I could talk them through it. I could supply templates when they needed them. And that just made it super easy for me to, to walk through in my own mind what they needed, where the holes were, and just talk through it. And, and it, for me, in a way that felt really chill, chill vibes. So, Lander, you said you charged $2,000 for the coaching. What do you charge for the regular do it for me package? How do they compare? For my write your copy for you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so my copy packages start at four thousand, and for launching, it usually will be around the six thousand. Um, meaning they're like, I want a sales page and this landing page here, or fill in the blank. Okay, that yeah, that's useful for comparison. And then you mentioned your research process. I'm curious, like, what is the research that goes into figuring out, you know, the offer and the positioning and all of the stuff? How long does that take? And what do you do for that? All right. Let's talk about how long it takes, <laughs> because if you're like me and other copywriters um, who love to learn and research is a safe zone, right? 
uh, I think have a hard stop date. You have a start and you have a stop and you have like a clear like plan in between and you just can't go any further because you need to move to the next step, right? So I think if you're someone who loves to learn, research feels safe, this is an easy area to get lost in. And so I will put that forthright. So you have, um, I love doing competitor research. It also helps with us later down the road with pricing and things. Um, so looking at other offers, how much are they priced? What is the language? Who is their ideal client? Can we can we pull from that? Do you do you feel like their pain points are they're similar or their been their um, what they want is similar? Looking at testimonials, even uh, I love doing that. And then surveying your audience and seeing their responses to things and asking like particular questions. If they've sold anything before, why do they choose to work with you? What almost kept them from working with you? Um, and having just those moments and looking at the testimonials too of what people have written for you if you have some those are big wins and helping us kind of get clear and then we use that information so mostly it's competitor research and surveys there's tons more we can do but those are usually the focus with coaching lander when i hear you talking about the work that you do you always sound so confident to me and i'm just wondering what type of mindset work you've done or maybe it's not mindset related but what you've done to really feel this level of confidence in the work you do and how you present it and how you talk about it, because that's something that many of us struggle with. Well, yeah, I reached out to Kira 2018 and then never just followed up. So mindset has been a huge and it comes and goes and I've had trauma in my life. So it aligns with those dates. Right. And I think just creating kind space for myself because I will have highs and lows and then surrounding yourself with amazing people like being with Robin Kira, there's these moments of, you know, if I'm in a safe space, I'm going to shine more. <laughs> and, um, and that's what great people do. So I think surrounding yourself with people that are amazing um, and that share your same values, that can be really helpful. I've read books on money mindset. I've realized, um, I think, yeah, listening how I talk to myself was huge. I was not great at building myself up, um, how I started my morning. And I don't mean like a morning process, y'all. I'm not a morning person. I just mean like the language I would, what I would say to myself when I looked in the mirror or if I was avoiding the mirror or when I'm in high stress with my kids, when I start to like get angsty, what's, what's going on? Like, what am I telling myself? What is the story here? And rewriting those stories has been one of the most powerful things. And then realizing, like I've written throughout my life. I love writing. And I was telling myself for a long time, I wasn't a great writer. I wasn't as great as. I wasn't the best at this. I needed X, Y, Z. And I still do that. I still do that. And part of it is just like, okay, I know that's a pain point for, for me. It's not. I'm not going to fix it overnight. And here is the next step. And then as someone who's experienced trauma or, you know, lived life, I going to therapy is something really important, I, I believe in. So while we're talking about this kind of mindset stuff. A related question is just, how do you get it all done? I mean, you mentioned, you know, it's hard to leave the house sometimes. You've got a family, you're working on these high level projects. Do you have processes for making sure that, like you said, you're only spending a certain amount of time on research and you're actually getting work done? What is, what is the planner portion of the business look like? It looks like the biggest jolt in my business in the right way, like the trajectory I wanted was from copy hackers and setting like your day and your week. And I loved like Joanna was you can have you can work on a Saturday if you want to 
And I read a book that was like How She Does It, I think is the name of it. And it's all these women who have made over 100K and like what their life looks like. And some would wake up at 3 a.m. and not be able to go to sleep and they would just work. And that became one of their work structures. And it's not like that it's right or wrong. It's just like you, you create what you need. And for me, I work best in the mornings. I work best at set hours. So now I work a set of four to five hours a day and I have very clear what to do today um, structure. And I also like freedom. So some people like choose one day for freedom. And for me, that might look like I'm creating a bit more space each day, like 30 minutes of just do what I want, figure it out or have fun or research or, or listen to a podcast and just create like little spaces that felt good to me that meant an energy burst later. How, Lander, do you stay focused when you're not in work mode and, you know, you're present with your family or you're having some, some me time? How do you avoid slipping back into work and maybe not sitting down at your laptop, but just thinking about it and not thinking about it in a positive way, but just like being pulled back in? I'm not great at that at all times. I think that there's certain times of day that it's worse. And sometimes it's just better for me to like work a little bit because I just really enjoy it. And I think it's that same point, like, do I want to work because I'm excited or am I feeding some other type of energy? And if the answer is like, I'm just excited, I, I think this is really cool, it's feeding me, then I can make it a little extra time to work here and there if I want to, right? And if not, if it's negative, then I, I need to do hot yoga or <laughs> I need to go on a run or I need to do something else positive that just gets me focused on something else. Because I do kind of tend to need something to kick that off and, and physical, like running, hiking, those really help me. So Lander, you're, you live in a, a smaller state, smaller town. You're not surrounded by, you know, everybody say like a New York city type experience. How do you make sure that you're getting seen? What are the things that you're doing to build your authority and to make sure that you're showing up where people can find you? Oh, I love that. I think this, I've played it safe for a long time. I think that, um, my podcast has been a big one for me. I am currently trying to get on other podcasts. I think making connections like through masterminds has been the most powerful for me since I'm not leaving. 2020, like no one left really. <laughs> that was a great time to connect with people and, and put me in the right place. By that meaning the people I want to work with, the energy I want to be around and what I enjoy doing. And so that's really powerful. So I think like doing masterminds has been one of the best things for me to get around the people I want to be around. And and now I, to be on podcasts and move there that way, I now have really strong connections with amazing people that I'm really excited about. So that's how I'm doing it now is is really my own podcast and then reaching out for others on podcasts. And Lander, we've been able to work with you in the think tank. I'm just curious, you know, what has surprised you the most about your experience in the think tank, especially given that you've been in other mastermind groups as well? Yeah. So I have been in other mastermind groups and I um, am not a high energy person. So I realized in the beginning, I think I, what I, one thing I thought was I should be around high energy people because like, for example, there was a launch I tried to do. I tried to do, there's a launch I did and it was fairly successful. I could have kept going with it, but it was high energy. It was me every day. It was like everything that exhausts me. And so I, so I wasn't showing up a hundred percent. By that, I mean, like, I was so tired by the end of the day and my mind was just not able to shut off and 
It was high touch. So I just don't do well in those situations. So I was like, okay, I know that I am a highly sensitive person. I know I'm introverted and I love connection. So can I find someone who fits that? And I remember being on the call with Kira and be like, hey, I'm super introverted. Um, here's what I like. And it just really flowed. And I love, I have not seen even like masterminds, people I've worked with, such a cool, kind, inviting space. Robin Kira is so giving. Like I felt, I feel VIP every day in the group. I will say that on <laughs> um, my own terms of that. And I, uh, I love working with you two as well as the group. And I feel like I'm more focused on my goals than I have been before. So we talked a lot about offers and we know that you've been working on a workshop and you know a program to help people with their offers. Tell us about the thing that you're building. Yes. So I have a workshop really focused on honing in your own irresistible offer. And the exciting thing about this is like once you have this process, you can use it for your online course. Or if you're like, Lena, that coaching sounded really cool. I want to try it. You can use it for your coaching. You can also use it for audits and create more income. Like my goal is to help people um, create more income through the business. We need more avenue streams if we really want to reach our financial goals without becoming so exhausted. So how do you reach your goals and ease into online offers without losing track of your own goals and taking tons of your time? So we want to focus on your irresistible offer and creating that. So I'm going to do a workshop on how to do that and how to break down your offer, feel really excited about it. Yeah, naming it creating a clear promise, course layout. And what I love too is each of these places, once you have that irresistible offer and all those names in place, you really can plug it into a sales page super easy or get on some of the call. You don't always even need a sales page. You can get on a call and really flow through it and your audience is excited about it and you are excited about it. So I have a workshop all about creating your own irresistible offer. And when is that taking place, Lander? It is taking place on May 26th. There will be a recording of it as well that you can purchase. But right now, the live workshop will be on May 26th. Okay. And for anyone listening who wants to jump in there, where should they go to register for the event? Right now, you'll go to my resource page on my website. So landersolcer.com backslash resources. All right. And um, Lander, for anyone who just wants to connect with you and say hello, what is the best place to say hello to you? The best place would be Facebook. I have a Facebook page. You can check out Instagram. Um, it's really my family life there, but <laughs> Lander Solcer. And then my Facebook page is Lander Solcer as well. Awesome. Thanks, Lander, for sharing so much detail about what you do in your business. We appreciate it. And looking forward to your workshop in just a few days. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lander. That's the interview with Lander, but before we leave, before we wrap up, Kara, what else jumped out to you that we really ought to, you know, put a couple of exclamation points on? <laughs> Exclamations. Um, well, I don't know if I put an exclamation on it, but I did like that we talked about ethical marketing and figuring out what feels right in our own businesses and what may feel right for our clients. And so I like that. Uh, Lander talks about this with her clients and it's part of her process. It sounded like it's part of her process to understand what feels right to her clients and not necessarily force Lander's beliefs on someone else, but to kind of work with them and customize what they do in their the launch of their course. 
And so, you know, I, I enjoy that part of our conversation. I think it's in, always interesting and all the different viewpoints are interesting around what makes eth ethical marketing ethical. Um, I don't totally understand the conversation around pain points and agitating pain points being unethical. I'm definitely open to more people's opinions and thoughts on that. I don't think Lander necessarily was speaking to that or saying that pain points are not ethical and agitating them are, um, is not ethical at all. But it did make me think about it. And I feel like when we identify pain points as copywriters and marketers in copy, I see it as something positive, not only because we know it 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 works and helps people identify and put their hand up to say, this is this is me. But I feel like w when I read it, it helps me feel seen as a human. If I am reading copy in an advertisement and I really connect with the pain points, it helps me feel seen and understood and less alone because I'm like, oh, well, it's not just me. Somebody else feels this way too. And so um, I think there's a lot of good we can do when we do agitate pain points and highlight pain points to help people feel less alone and more connected uh, to other other beings out there who may be dealing with the same thing. So I don't know, Rob, if you have more insights into what people mean when they say that agitating pain points is unethical. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I am reluctant to say we should never emphasize pain points. I do think that there may be a few marketers out there that that go so far that they're not just showing that they're relating to people, but they're really almost helping people relive a trauma. And if that's what your copy is doing, of course, back off a little bit. Like, you know, we're not we're not trying to you know have people go through these traumatic experiences again. We just need to remind them of the pain that they're feeling and the fact that our solution is connected to that. Like it, it can fix that. It can help them make progress. And so, yeah, maybe you can overdo it, but I'm with you. I think in most cases, it's not really about you know sticking the the knife in and, and making it hurt. It's simply reminding them of how much pain they've had, and there is a, a solution that can help relieve that in some way. And it, as long as you're staying on that side of the line, wherever that line is, uh, I agree with you. I'm I'm the same way. And and I think you know we, we talked a little bit about like the pricing stack as well. I just saw a promotion a couple of days ago where I think the the sales price was under a thousand dollars and the bonuses and everything added up to like $38,000 of value. No way. It just, it's just one of those things where I'm like, this is just so ridiculously over the top. It doesn't really make sense. You know, there, it can't possibly be worth that if you're selling it to me for, for this amount of money, even if you're the nicest guy in the world, it just doesn't make sense. And so that kind of stuff too, just feels icky. I, again, I, I'm not sure that it's unethical, but it doesn't feel right. And I have a feeling that it probably negatively impacts sales. Yeah. And in, I mean, and I've done a lot of this too. I've definitely <laughs> had price stacks where I'm like, everything is um, is uh, priceless, right? It's like, this is priceless and this is priceless. You can't attach a value to this because it's so valuable. And so I think just reeling it in is important and uh, scaling back and just questioning, <laughs> questioning um, some of the prices that we're putting on the page is helpful. Let's do less of that stuff and yes. more of the good stuff. Yes. Okay. Um, what else stood out to you, Rob? 
So uh, Lander walked us through do it for you versus do it with you. And this seems like a really big opportunity for a lot of copywriters. I think most of us just get into the habit of do it for you. So, you know, we take on the project, we do all of the things, but there is probably for most of us, maybe many of us, this opportunity to maybe do a little bit less, to charge a little bit less. Maybe it's working with you know a larger set of clients and actually coaching our clients through the process of doing the stuff instead of doing it ourselves. So, uh, you know, I, I think that there's an opportunity here. If that appeals to you as a listener, go back and listen to that part of the interview again because you may be able to create a do it with me service instead of a do it for you service that fits in really well with the other services that you offer, frees up some of your time, allows you to work with more clients and uh, maybe a different set of clients that can't afford your do it for me services. I, I just really like that whole discussion. Yes. And I like that uh, Lander mentioned um, that coaching can be great for perfectionists. I haven't looked at it that way before, but I you know I'm sure many of us have those tendencies to be a perfectionist in our business. And so um, she was mentioning that coaching has helped her feel a little bit more chill because there are a lot of elements she can't control. I mean, she didn't say that in her own words, but when she's coaching someone, she can give them direction, she can give them feedback, she can give them templates. But other than that, she's got to let go and the other person she's coaching needs to take the reins and run with it. And so um, that's been a really helpful practice for me too, is just to kind of let go a little bit and having these a variety of offers uh, other than done for you, where you can let go a little bit is a, is a great way to work if you are someone who is a high high performing perfectionist. Um, it might be worth sampling a done with you uh, offer. Yep, for sure. I also really appreciated that Lander mentioned that research can become a safe zone for a lot of us. Uh, you know, there's this resistance that happens that keep us from doing the important work. And sometimes we get so deep into the research and we're thinking, well, I just need to know this one more thing, or I just need a little bit more feedback from the survey or from more customers before I can move forward with my ideas. It's just a, a good emphasis point that we have to set boundaries around that. Otherwise, resistance can kick in and we don't actually get the best work done. Uh, I also like, you know, we talked about Lander's schedule and how she kind of manages her workload with um, home and parenting. And she mentioned something about working hours that work best for her and that, you know, if, if she wants to work late at night, it's okay, but still sending the message to clients like, I'm, I can do this, but also I still have boundaries and that doesn't mean that I'm going to respond to you at 1 a.m. Um, and she also mentioned working when she wants to, even if it's like her off hours because she enjoys it. And I don't know why, but that really resonated with me just hearing her talk about it. Um, and, and then, you know, pretty soon after our interview with her last weekend, I don't like to work on the weekends, Rob, you know, like I, because again, like if with workaholic tendencies, if I let go and start working on the weekends, like I will just start working all the time. So I have to have strong boundaries for myself. But when I was thinking about what she said, I was like, well, you know, it's Saturday. I have this little bit of time that I never have. Why don't I just work on something that's really exciting to me right now? And that's energizing. And so um, again, it's almost like she gave permission to me to be able to do that when it feels good and it feels right. And it doesn't necessarily um, 
infringe on a boundary I've created. Yeah, I, I, I related to this too. And I think there's a flip side here that doesn't get talked about enough. And that is, it's also okay to not work in the middle of the day. If, right. you, know, you know, if you need to take some space away, you want to go for a run or you want to go see a movie. This is one place where I struggle. So I'm, I'm really good at the, oh, I love work. And so I'm at my desk at seven in the morning and sometimes I'm still sitting at my desk doing things at seven at night. But in the middle of the day when I'm maybe less effective and I'm you know just kind of, you know, maybe I start scrolling through Twitter or whatever, um, giving myself permission to step away and saying, actually, this would be a really good time to go for a walk or this would be a really good time to take a nap or mow the lawn or, or whatever. It's okay to do that stuff too, because the business needs to support us as we live our lives. And it's not just about, you know, adding more opportunities for work. You're right. That always does feel harder, even though I do it. So it still feels strange sometimes. It's you, know? you feel guilt. You feel guilt around it, and it's. I don't it feels know, like it's you're weird. skipping school. And I was, exactly. I was a, like a very good student who did not skip school. I yeah, wish I would have been cool like that, but I did was not. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> it's good to just identify these things, even for you to identify it, for me to identify it. I think that's a good place to start. Lander also talked a little bit about building confidence, the mindset issues that she's been around. I, you know, I, I just touch on a couple of the bullets, you know, being aware that there are uh, seasons or times where you're hitting highs and lows and adjusting for that, surrounding yourself with people who have the same values that you do, and then being kind in the way that we speak to ourselves, you know, being aware of the language that we use and how that's impacting us day in and day out. And she, she mentioned, you know, she's done therapy and that she's gotten better at rewriting the stories that she tells herself. And I think all of those are things that we should be doing more of as we go through our days, allowing ourselves just the space, uh, you know, forgetting comments that we make to ourselves. I'm not as good as, you know, uh, Paris or, or I, you know, I'm not as good as Marcella or I should be doing this because I know Kira's doing it, like letting go of that stuff and rewriting the stories that we tell ourselves. So uh, you know, I know we've talked about mindset quite a bit over the last couple of years on the podcast, but it's just good to, to see how people are applying it in their own businesses. We will not stop talking about mindset anytime soon. Um, yeah. And she also mentioned matching energy. Uh, which we haven't talked a lot about that when you're looking for, I mean, we've talked a lot about mentors and looking for coaches, but matching energy levels. And I, she mentioned it in this conversation, but I remember when we were interviewing Lander to join the think tank. And I remember she asked about that and just like, Hey, you know, she was very upfront about the fact that she's an introvert and that she was kind of looking for other introverts to be in a group with. And so I do think that's important to recognize you know, your energy level. And if you're more of an extrovert too, like, do you need to be around other introverts or other extroverts or a mix of the two? Um, but just knowing that is helpful, especially if you're about to invest in a, a mastermind or some type of high level group, you want to make sure that it's the right fit for you, especially if you've been in groups where it's not the right fit. That is an important question to ask. And she was, I think the only person who's ever asked me that question when, uh, when interviewing for the think tank. That's interesting. She she also mentioned uh, or really re-emphasized because we talked about this in the first part of 
the podcast interview, you know, as she was talking about how she builds her authority, um, she mentioned that you know, doing that as a highly sensitive person, which again is a unique way of describing um, herself, something I know you relate to, Kira, but that, that that mastermind experience, being in the right mastermind, great way to connect, but also that podcasts allow her to connect with amazing people in unique ways. And again, we talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the episode, but the, the power of connecting with good, smart, amazing, successful people, either on your own podcast or as a guest on their podcast is huge. And we encourage everybody in our programs to do it. I'm just going to encourage all of our listeners to see that as an opportunity as well. Yeah. I think if you're a highly sensitive person, you can do really well with podcasting because it's so intimate and you can kind of pick up on cues and, and ask, um, deeper questions that you may not be allowed to ask in real life. <laughs> you can ask for some reason, it's okay to ask all the questions on podcasts, but when you like hang out with that person in real life, it's not socially acceptable to ask the same questions. So I do think, uh, this platform is great for HSCs. Is that a thing? HSCs, highly sensitive copywriters. I, I wouldn't know because I'm definitely not one of them. Rob is a um, highly, highly insensitive. H-U-C, yeah. <laughs> highly, uh, <laughs> highly insensitive copywriter, H-I-C. That's right. Um, I, I no dream of being that, Rob. I like really, you help me be more insensitive and I will help you be more sensitive. That's right. It's a good one-two punch. Yes. Which a highly sensitive person probably wouldn't say one-two punch. They'd say like <laughs> no combination of ice cream flavors yes. on the cone or something. Yeah. Nope, wouldn't say that either, but we'll keep going. We want to thank Lander Sulser for joining us for this interview. Be sure to check out her free workshop that she mentioned at landersulser.com forward slash resources. If for some reason that's too hard to remember, we will add a link to that in the show notes for this episode. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you liked what you've heard at all, even just a little bit, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can share the episode with someone you know who will like it, or you can do both. Yeah, definitely do both. And if you want another episode to listen to, check out episode number 205, where we talked with copywriter Justin Goff about creating an offer. It's a really good discussion around offers. We also talked quite a bit about mindset with Justin and episode 266 with Angie Collie, where we talked about making coaching a bigger part of your business. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write.